You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. To us. Fires. Touchdown, Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we pick up our 2022 season preview, both with the Miami Dolphins and the National Football League, and we'll stop by the wide receivers room today to hear from Wes Welker, Mike McDaniel, and Tyreek Hill on what they look for at the position slash the leadership he provides in the room, plus a look at each player's skill sets, and we'll also get to the divisional preview with the NFC North on tap today. From somewhere in central Washington, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins we pick it up taking a look at the wide receiver room today and we start with the group at a glance actually before we do that let's go ahead and talk about the personnel changes as kind of a theme the first two editions of the positional preview lots of changes at quarterback running back and in the receiver room the additions this year they are a plenty. Tyreek Hill from the Kansas City Chiefs, Cedric Wilson from the Dallas Cowboys, Trent Sherfield and River Craycraft, formerly of the San Francisco 49ers. Devontae Dedman comes down from the CFL. Eric Ezukama, the draft pick out of Texas Tech, and Braylon Sanders, the UDFA out of Ole Miss, all newcomers. And they, of course, joined the incumbents in Lynn Bowden, Cody Core, Jalen Waddell, and Preston Williams. Departures. Devontae Parker's now with the Patriots. Mac Hollins is with the Las Vegas Raiders. Albert Wilson's in Minnesota. Kirk Merritt with the Saints. And then Isaiah Ford, Will Fuller, Alan Hearns, and Tommy Lee Lewis are all free agents at press time. And the Dolphins coaching staff got a change here as well. Uh, Former great wide receiver Wes Welker is now in charge of the room. And I keep going back to this comment by Debo Samuel, who enjoyed a breakout 1,770 yards from scrimmage season with 14 touchdowns. And when he was asked during media week at the Super Bowl, who might be the next Mike McDaniel in terms of the guy that ascends to the top of the coaching ranks, he couldn't get Wes Welker's name out of his mouth quick enough. He thought very highly of his receivers coach there in San Francisco. And why wouldn't he? I mean, Brandon Ayuk, Kendrick Bourne, he went to the Patriots after having a good final year with the Niners. All these receivers are having career-type years under Wes Welker and turning it into either potential contract extensions with the Niners or with the contract, in Bourne's case, with the New England Patriots. 
And, you know, I think it's no surprise that he's a fast riser up the coaching ranks. I think he had one year in Houston before coming to San Francisco and then was there for one year before taking on the full receiver job there. And now here he is in Miami with that same lateral move under Mike McDaniel. But, I mean, this is a guy that made a career out of attention to detail, ultra-reliable hands and consistent, exceptional route running that was, I mean, just as much between the ears as it was physical for Wes Welker, right? And so you have to think that, with all the skill sets and talent we have in this receiver room now with, you know, Tyreek Hill coming on board, Jalen Waddle last year, signing Cedric Wilson this year, and on and on and on, that you hope that Welker's intelligence for the game and the position can just pair up with that talent and we can go from there, baby. And taking a look at this group at a glance, again, a lot of turnover on the offensive side of the football. Five veteran additions and two rookies. And the receiver room is almost entirely brand new. And we know by now that the Dolphins, yeah, they kind of hit Yahtzee in 2021 in the first round with Jalen Waddle and hoping to do the exact same thing with six-time Pro Bowler out of six tries in Tyreek Hill. And I just think that surrounding a player like Waddle, who is a sponge, who just works his butt off and wants to get better with one of the most accomplished players at the position in the history of the NFL ideally can help maximize that original investment, right? Like Tyreek Hill is a big investment. We know about that and the draft picks and the contract, but Jalen Waddle was a sixth overall pick as well. Like that's one of your most premium resources you're going to have on your roster because ideally you're not drafting that high ever again, right? And that was the Houston Texans pick. So double bonus there for the Miami Dolphins back in 2021. And look, everyone knows that he's fast in Tyreek Hill, but it's the work ethic that I think can really maximize that potential. Why don't we go ahead and hear from Chris Greer, who talked about one of the first practices that Tyreek Hill was out there for the Miami Dolphins back in April, taking a look at the early offseason program. Here's Chris Greer talking about Tyreek Hill immediately after the acquisition. He's such a unique talent, and even yesterday on the field, he made a play and went down, and they popped up, you know, like no hands, like flipped up right off the ground. And we're just like, look at this guy. <laughs> He's just so uh, explosive and springy. And, and just the way he works out of practice, his work ethic's unbelievable. One thing I keep going back to about Tyreek Hill is, is not just the talent. Obviously, we, we know about that in spades. But just watching him out there at practice during OTAs and the way he kind of sets a tone and and he's running every every period, every practice, every drill at full speed. And you just have to think that has a you know a net gain, a net positive on the entire room when your most accomplished player can show you the way to work and how to get to that accomplished level of your career. Let's go ahead and hear from Tyreek Hill, who was asked back in OTAs about, man, you don't get veteran days off, do you? You're out here working hard. And he says, that's what I do. That's what I do, man. That's what I do, man. Like, I mean, when I came here, man, I signed up to work. I didn't sign up, you know, just for the paycheck, man. I also signed up, you know, to be a team leader and also, you know, lead this team and show this team how I do things. And, and how I do things is I work hard, you know, and um, I want the guys behind me to follow that, you know. So, I mean, I just can't be a guy in our locker room just saying, hey, you guys should be doing this, doing that. You know, I got to be that guy who's willing to come out on the field and work hard and show these young guys how to get the job done and potentially win the Super Bowl. So that's what I'm here for. I signed up to work. You love to hear that. And he also talks about being here to win football games, too. Obviously, the ultimate goal to win the last game of the season. But 
signing up to work. I mean, like that's just the impact I think that can have when you pair the physical skill set, then also showing guys like th- that's a good part, a good start to get to this point in my career with six Pro Bowls and six seasons. But if you work this way, that's that's a really good way to ensure yourself that you're going to find uh, success in your pro career. I wanted to ask Wes Welker about the impact of the on-field speed watching Waddle and Hill work together. And he talked a little bit about you know, feeling that speed at field level and that guys can run a 4-2, but maybe don't play 4-2. Here's Wes Welker talking about how the speed of Waddle and Hill translates to the football field. Those guys are full speed all the time. And um, that's the cool thing about it. Um, You know, a lot of times you get guys that are 4-2 guys that know they're 4-2 and don't necessarily play 4-2. They play 4-2. And they do it a lot. And uh, every time they're out there on the field, they're going as hard as they can. And, and um, you know, you definitely feel that out there on the field. And I think the quarterbacks feel it as well. And, you know, it just makes their jobs easier to, you know, uh, get the ball uh, to them out of their breaks and different things like that. So you heard from Chris Greer back in April pre-draft. You heard from Tyreek Hill in late May. And we also heard from receivers coach Wes Welker there in early May. So there you go, an entire room made up of varying skills, different body types of, and different forms of contributions. Uh, you know, we talk about Hill and Waddle. Why do I keep wanting to say Welker? Cedric Wilson's in there with the ability to get deep and, and pick up a bunch of yards after the catch. A rookie fourth-round pick and a bigger body receiver and Eric Ezukama, kind of the same as Cedric Wilson with their build. Trent Sherfield and what he does, River Craycraft. The list goes on and on. Let's go ahead and meet that cast here of Dolphins receivers and kick it off with Lynn Bowden going in order of jersey number, number three, Lynn Bowden. And I go back to an interesting quote from Coach McDaniel this offseason when he was asked specifically about Lynn Bowden. And he said, you know, Lynn has an interesting skill set. I've always been drawn to players that have multiple positions, specifically quarterback experience because of the way they see the game. And before Bowden was setting SEC rushing records by quarterbacks, He was a Bolitnikoff Award finalist for the best wide receiver in college football. And he showed you some of those flashes and the ability to kind of, you know, what he did with the ball in his hands as a quarterback in college with 28 catches for 211 yards over his final five games of that rookie season before missing 2021 with an injury. But he is shifty. He can be a part of, you know, different types of looks where he's going across the formation, going vertical, carrying the football, trigger man, all that fun stuff. He's got a very diverse skill set. Back to Tyreek Hill, number 10. I mean, listing each one of his accomplishments would have us, you know, looking like that SpongeBob meme with a scroll. He's made the Pro Bowl each of his first six years, and the numbers paint an elite play, uh, player in multiple categories, whether it's creating separation, 3.4 yards of separation since he came into the NFL, is fourth best over that time. Explosive plays. Nobody has more 40 or 50-yard touchdown catches than him. And if you want to talk about making life easier on your quarterback, kind of like Wes Welker talked about, just go back to the podcast, I think like two or three weeks ago, talking about the difference between the Chiefs offense when Hill went from part-time player in 2016, primary special team return man, to full-time starter in 2017, and the jump with Alex Smith's numbers and that Chiefs offense in general. And then beyond the electric speed and the chart-topping stats and you know keeping defensive coordinators up at night, talk about the tireless work ethic and the way he can teach guys how to do things the way he does. He's an efficient route runner with elite skills to attack leverage, consistently chasing 
defenders' blind spots, putting them in that blender. I mean, there's a reason that he has the numbers he has. Three-time first-team uh, three first All-Pro, 7,349 yards from scrimmage in six years, and 62 touchdowns. Over 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns per year type of guy. Tack on another 1,393 return yards and five touchdowns as a kick and punt returner. He's one of the game's premier players. That's why you go out and you get a player like Tyreek Hill. Number 11, Cedric Wilson Jr., a big-bodied receiver with the ability to stack defensive backs and quickly accelerate to top speed makes Wilson a very intriguing player for the Dolphins because I think he kind of balances Hill and Waddle a little bit, but also has the vertical skill set from that inside position or outside position. And despite having countless mouths to feed in Dallas, he still made his mark in both volume and efficiency measurements uh, as far as stats go. Like, you just look at what he did with the football in his hands and yards after the catch. He was, lost my train of thought here on that, 6.2 yards after the catch were tied for 10th among all NFL receivers. He was 5th in the NFL among qualifying receivers, averaging 18.4 yards per target on deep balls. Those are passes that travel 20 or more yards in the air. And he had an 18 plus, or a plus 18.6 catch rate over expected. So he caught 18% more of your passes than an average receiver would in the 10 plus yard range. So intermediate to deep, he excels in those areas tenfold. Number 14, Trent Sherfield. You talk about tone and standards headers go, talking about Tyreek Hill. Sherfield has a lot of that in him as well. Like he got that dog in him, right? And coaches lauded his work habits last summer at training camp. A couple of articles I found where they talk about the way he worked his way into running with the ones for much of the summer. So it should come as no surprise that Mike McDaniel and Wes Welker value him and wanted to bring him here to Miami to play football, but also help establish a culture and accelerate the learning process of this new offense. He's an exceptional blocker in the running game and his PFF special teams grades have only dipped below 80 one time. And that was like a 71.1, which is still a quality grade, but over 80 two times out of the last three years. And if you're in the 80 category, that's like pro bowl level grading as far as pro football focuses metrics go. Number 17, Jalen Waddell. You know, his 104 catch uh, over 1,000 yard rookie season, I think was underappreciated. Like a bold take for sure, right? Like Travis, he broke Dolphin rookie records. He broke the rookie reception record in the NFL. But when you consider where he made his hay in college, you talk about Hill as a return man and a big play receiver, his ability to come into the pros and take on entirely a different role just proves how versatile and how dynamic and how special of a player the Dolphins have here in Jalen Waddle, because back in college, he caught 21 of 25 deep targets, 20 plus yard throws down the field. He caught over 80% of them. It's an absurd statistic. But last year in a more quick hitting rhythm timing passing offense, he just ate up underneath coverage. He showcased exceptional twitch, a fantastic release package at the line of scrimmage, and an understanding of how to attack different coverages. Like, you know, those corner routes against the Titans and Ravens, the big 45 plus yard gains he had on those deep balls from Tua. The way he kind of angled those guys and got them going the wrong direction, then he snapped that thing off back the other way. He does that on long routes, intermediate routes, and short routes. And the guy had, he was so consistent. He had fewer than three catches only one time in a game last year. And he had better than 50 yards in all but four contests. Very, very excited about number 17. Number 18, Preston Williams. Six foot five, 220 pound receiver with good speed and leaping ability. And he provides some of that balance, right? Talk about speedsters, tall guys, a basketball lineup in that Dolphins receivers room. And he can high point the football and has proven reliable red zone uh, statistics to boost that with seven career touchdowns in 24 career games. Number 83, Devonte Dedman coming down from the CFL, 
pretty cool uh, CFL career for him. One of the most decorated special teams players to ever do it north of the border. He had uh, his fifth return touchdown occurred in his 15th career game. That was the fastest to ever do it. The previous guy had it in 18 games. He was also, because of that, named the CFL's most outstanding special teams player and was also named a league all-star as a wide receiver. Number 85, River Craycraft, earning one of the orange jerseys at one of the final OTA practices, which is, of course, given to the previous session's practice player of the day. He showed in that practice what made him a bit of a cult hero at Washington State University, Go Cougs, an intelligent route runner with sure hands. And his time with the 49ers under Mike McDaniel just gives the staff another conduit between player and coach with Craycraft's understanding of the offense. Number 86, Braylon Sanders. Turn on Ole Miss tape from the last couple of years, and you'll find Braylon Sanders getting on top of defenses with regularity. He and Matt Corral had a good connection there. Averaged 21.1 yards per catch on 68 career grabs by pairing speed with an innate ability to stack defensive backs. He'll use that arm bar, get over the top, and get on top of those guys and keep them there on his back and tracks the football like a center fielder. Another rookie, number 87, Eric Ezukama. You watched Big 12 games last year. Tacklers are bouncing off Ezukama at Texas Tech, averaging 7.8 yards after the catch. That was 16th among qualifying college wide receivers in rack yards, run after the catch, yards after the catch. Big frame, sturdy mitts. He only had 12 drops from pro football focus in his career, excuse me, on 214 career targets. But he's more than just a possession receiver. Like that's that's what kind of the moniker that comes with a big receiver like that. But he averaged 15.7 yards per catch in his career. So a good looking prospect. Number 89, Cody Core, sixth round draft pick of the Bengals back in 2016. Spent the first three years of his career with the Bengals. Then it was off to the Giants for two more before arriving with Miami last year on the practice squad. Primarily a special teams ace there in Cincinnati and with the Giants. He has 33 career catches for 388 yards. That's your Dolphins wide receivers room. Let's go ahead and take our first break on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. And we'll come back on the other side and preview our next division in the 2022 NFL preview here on Drive Time, the NFC North, a division the Dolphins play this year. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. The Dolphins receiver position preview in the books. Let's go ahead and spin this thing forward now to the NFC North, a division the Dolphins are going to play this year, four games against the Packers, Vikings, Bears, and Lions. And we kick it off as we do with last year's defending champion of the division going down the list in order of the 2021 finish. And we start here with the Kings of the North right now, the Green Bay Packers. And one of the more enviable team of sports fans Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. 
Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Where, regardless of sport, because you go from Brett Favre seamlessly to Aaron Rodgers, and you enjoy 30 years of elite quarterback play and constant, constant contention playoff runs, deep postseason runs, a couple of Super Bowls. And there was one maybe two years late in the Favre era when they weren't competitive. I think it was 05. They fell to like 6-10. and 10. But right after that, they came back the next year. We're right back in the NFC Championship game. And then they missed the postseasons a couple times under Aaron Rodgers when he was injured, that collarbone injury a few years back. But they've been part of the playoffs pretty much every year this millennia, at least late into the season, even those Rodgers injury seasons, they were still alive in December, but that enters into the fray of the conversation. And this, I think this is true across really this entire division of what truly equates to sports fandom pain, because like the Vikings, we'll talk about them here in just one second, have a top 10 all time win percentage, but no Super Bowl championships, despite some pretty good deep postseason runs that seem to end tragically for Vikings fans when they do arrive at that juncture. So does it hurt more to simply never get there as a fan? Or is the pain greater when you're there every year and endure heartbreak just about every year? Because in those three decades of contention, it's one Lombardi for each quarterback for the Packers here with Rodgers and Favre. You'd think it'd be higher. That's usually what that equates to, right? The quarterback uh, plays a, a pretty heavy weight in terms of the overall outcome. But for the Packers, it just shows you this is a team game and the quarterback position, although it's very important, is not the end-all be-all. And the Packers are another team that coincides with what we talked about on the last podcast in the NFC South with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 32 teams, 32 unique approaches to team building. And the Packers straight up did not sign free agents for a very long time. And that, of course, was after bringing in Reggie White from the Eagles back in the 90s. But there was like a decade where they would sign maybe one or two guys who were like special teams and depth type of additions. But now that's changed a little bit. So top tier quarterback who can make any play call look correct, even when it's not. And when it is right, then it goes even further. A big change at the skill positions, a defense that honestly, you might be able to take the pack defense over the offense for the first time in the Rodgers era. Maybe that's, maybe I'm wish casting there a little bit, but I'm saying this defense is very, very good. Very, very legit not to mention a deadly one-two punch in the backfield. So they are deep. They are good. There's no reason to think this team can't win 13 games for the fourth straight season. The new acquisitions, we're looking at what they did in the offseason here. Receiver Sammy Watkins is with the Packers. Now defensive tackle Jerron Reed, formerly of the Seahawks, is down with 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 the Green Bay Packers now. Tight end Elise Mack and cornerback Keyshawn Nixon are their new acquisitions. See, even this year, not a big crop of free agents you know, a couple of years ago, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith was a big time acquisition for them this year. Not as much in that vein, but they did get some quality acquisitions there. But it's just kind of a throwback in terms of their approach because they also took care of a bunch of their own guys like Devondre Campbell, who came to Green Bay after for his first season and had an absolute breakout all pro campaign. Same thing happened with Rasul Douglas. Ask Eagles fans about Rasul Douglas. He gets waived and picked up midseason and turns into a damn near an all pro like he was playing at a Pro Bowl level when the Packers picked him up. Rodgers gets a new deal. So do the two pillars of that defense and Preston Smith and uh, Jair Alexander. 
gone are some big names. Receiver Devontae Adams traded to the Raiders in the offseason. Him and Rodgers was one of the top connections in the entire NFL for a long time. Uh, also, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Equinemius St. Brown are both gone. So Darius Smith has gone to the Vikings, and Billy Turner is back with the Denver Broncos. So they, they put a lot of draft picks into those receivers we just talked about. All three of those guys, I think, were second-round picks, if I'm not mistaken, won the third or fourth round. But they've always kind of found success in those rounds. And interesting to see all three of those guys go out in the same year. It was a busy draft for the Packers. Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt in the first round. Two Georgia Bulldogs. Two really, really good football players. Talk about receivers in the second round. Christian Watson out of North Dakota State. He'll stay in the green and gold and go to the Packers. Probably going to have some expectations for him to step in and play a big role right away. I know Brett Coleman was a big, big fan of his game in both his physical stature and makeup and the testing metrics, but also just what he did in terms of route running. And even though he's kind of a raw prospect, polished in that sense in terms of, you know, small school competition, but really kind of sold his routes and showed you the same look over and over again to snap that thing off or deep, to go vertical, to go horizontal, to come back to the football on and on and on. In the third round, Sean Ryan out of UCLA, the guard. And in the fourth round, another receiver, Romeo Dubs out of Nevada. What a name that is. And the center out of uh, Wake Forest, Zach Tom. A lot of folks liked his game quite a bit. And the storylines for this team, it's kind of going back to the receiver thing there because, you know, the whole no wide receiver taken in the first round for 20 plus years, obviously expanding over Rodgers' entire career. But again, you can get good players in other rounds and that trio of departing receivers is a good example of that. All those guys' mid-round draft picks kind of looked like MVS was starting to hit his stride a little bit. How quickly can these new guys get on the same page with Rodgers because we know he's demanding as hell and will ask a lot out of those guys and ultimately get a lot out of the guys that he's going to get a lot out of, right? Like if they're going to work, he's going to make them work early and, and probably often too. Amari Rogers, that receiver taken last year, I think is a guy to keep an eye on. Also keeping an eye on the backfield, the true thunder and lightning of 2022, in my opinion, and Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. I mean, they, they are damn, damn good. And it gives the Packers a secondary way to win on offense. If the passing game's not going kind of like last year in the NFC divisional round, maybe you go to more of a Jones and Dillon type of approach. Can David Bakhtiari stay healthy? He's been dominant, but had a tough time staying on the field. And if he does, who is the other tackle? Is Elton Jenkins going to play out at tackle again? Because he's been all pro good at center and guard. Then he moves to tackle and guess what? He's just as good out there as well. So does that kind of give you more positional value to kick him out there? What a player he is. Then on defense in general, with Walker, with Hyatt, bringing back Smith, Douglas, Alexander, Campbell, in addition to Clark, Gary, Amos, Savage, Stokes, they're pretty damn loaded. This is the year that they are a Super Bowl team with a nice balance of pass game, run game, and defense. It'll be interesting to see how this Packers team plays out this year. This is a division the NFC in the NFC, I should say, that Miami plays against. The Packers will be in Miami on Christmas Day, 1 o'clock kickoff at Hard Rock Stadium. It's going to be a big day around the National Football League, and your Dolphins are in that early window. The Vikings up next. Kind of like the NFC South here. Again, not a lot of long coaching tenures. Dan Campbell is the second longest tenured coach in the division, and he's only entering year two as the Vikings replace one of the longer-tenured coaches in Mike Zimmer with Kevin O'Connell. The next one off the Sean McVay tree to get his crack at a head coaching job. I think the Vikings are one of the more interesting clubs of the last half decade for the balance of team building, their expectations that have come with that, the playoff success when it has happened, the playoff failure when it has not happened, and where they are now as well as going forward. The way we start these little who they are, where they've been, where they're going segments is with that. And one of my closest buddies, a shout out to Chris for lending 
me his golf clubs the other day. I really needed those, so thanks, my friend. Uh, but we met back in 2015 and watched every draft together for like three or four years. And I'd always tell him how much I love the Vikings draft. And that went back to before I knew him with like Corderell Patterson back in 2013, I think that was. So I've always had an affinity for this Vikings team because they draft the players that I have, uh, you know, a bit of a fan crush on. And the result was a pretty good roster, right? So the Vikings have had some solid offenses and defenses in that time. Because remember, prior to the 2018 season, it was the Vikings are a quarterback away, right? It was trending towards our guy, Teddy Bridgewater, being that guy. But then, of course, the flukiest of freak injuries essentially forced their hand to go elsewhere after he provided, you know, stabilization in the first round, his first couple of years there. But, I mean, that was like a two-year injury. So they had to find a way to move on. And frankly, Sam Bradford was that dude, but he had injury issues of his own. So when Cousins was out of tag options in Washington, they couldn't tag him anymore, Everyone projected he signed with the Vikings because it was the missing piece, and that's exactly what happened. But not as far as duplicating that run to the NFC Championship game in 2018. They did have a fantastic, fantastic wildcard win over the Saints in 2019. And over time, a team that a lot of folks thought would make a run at the Super Bowl that year, but nope, here comes Kirk and the Fighting Vikings. Uh, probably the best moment of Cousins' Vikings career so far, but since then... 7-9 and 8-9 and, and, and some big, big changes. Mike Zimmer out, O'Connell in. That roster has changed because, well, that's what happens with time in this league, right? Five years is a long time. So our theme of this series has been how teams have built, and that was the case of the roster is ready to roll. Let's drop the quarterback in. And you're seeing this a lot now in the league, right? Denver feels great about their roster. Boom, go get Russell Wilson. Same story last year with the Rams and Matt Stafford, the Bucks the year before with Tom Brady, and on and on. You draft well, it puts you in a position to go ahead and make that big splash move at a very important position. So with Kirk, you know, I think he's an interesting study because just looking at the numbers since he joined the Vikings in four years, over 16,300 passing yards, 124 tutties, 36 picks, and a 103.5 rating, a full 10 points better than his rating with Washington. So Cousins remains, but much of this roster is different than the one that Cousins joined up with back in 2018. Let's go ahead and see what they did this offseason. New linebackers, Zadarius Smith and Jordan Hicks, formerly of the Packers and Cardinals, give them a big upgrade at that position. They also bring in Harrison Phillips from the Bills at defensive tackle. They get cornerback Shandon Sullivan. Offensive line additions, Chris Reed, he was formerly a Dolphin, so too was Jesse Davis, and also receiver Albert Wilson. Reed a few years back. Uh, gone are linebacker Nick Vigil and offensive lineman Dakota Dozier and Mason Cole. Xavier Woods, the safety is gone, and so too is tight end Tyler Conklin. Big moves across the offensive line. In the draft this year, safety Lewis Seen from Georgia. What an absolute captain of a defense he is. Number In the second round, I keep saying that every damn podcast. In the second round, cornerback Andrew Booth out of Clemson and guard out of LSU, Ed Ingram. And in the third round, they go linebacker Brian Osamoa. And you can instantly see the influence of new GM Kwesi Adolfo Mensa putting his print on the roster, traded one pick in the first round, three picks in the second round, one in the third round, three in the fourth round, one in the sixth round, and two in the seventh round. He was busy on draft day, and he came from that analytics background, which tends to value the ability to be flexible going up and down the draft board, and we saw him do that a lot this year. Some storylines for the Vikings. The moves across the offensive line with Dozier and Cole out. We saw lots of positives last year from Christian Derrissaw. It's going to be a big year for him going into year two to solidify that left tackle position. Same story in the defensive backfield. There was a ton 
of resources put into that position during the Mike Zimmer era. And the defense really struggled the last two years. Can they bounce back and get some of those guys playing at a higher level? That's another one. How does this defense look with a shift from Zimmer and the staff to new defensive coordinator Ed Donatel? Kirk Cousins is always a storyline. I feel like his production and performance is always in there uh, because I, I don't think it matches the general perception of Kirk Cousins and how good of a player he is and just how he will operate in this new offense. Remember how he performed those last few years in Washington, and that was under who else? Then Sean McVay, which is where Kevin O'Connell came from uh, under history with the Rams. The Vikings will play the Dolphins also in Miami, week six at Hard Rock Stadium, a one o'clock kickoff on October the 16th. Let's go ahead and take our last break. We'll get to the Bears and Lions here next on the Drive Time Podcast, your summer preview series, wide receiver position, and NFC North on the podcast today. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. All right, back here on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast, picking it back up in our NFC North preview, Norris preview, with the Chicago Bears. Another team with some change at head coach and the GM position. Ryan Poles, the latter, Matt Eberflus, the former. And last year, they landed one of the big-time quarterbacks in that really, really hyped-up draft class with Justin Fields after trading up with the New York Giants. I thought getting Tevin Jenkins in the second round was also a really Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you know have to do that with everyone you meet? Try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got him. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Nice pick. Though injuries kind of slowed his rookie season. But now the roster is in new hands. And since that... Since that double doink, Cody Parkey back in 2017, they've been trying to find that formula. Or was it 2018? Yeah, 2018. 2019 playoffs, 2018 season. I always say the same year, like the year that the, the season is the year that the opening is the opening day occurred. So this coming season is the 2022 season. But anyway, they were 6-11 and last year with a pair of 8-8 eight and eight seasons prior to that, though it should be noted they made the playoffs one of those years at 8-8. Eight and eight. So they go from an OC off the Andy Reid tree and, and uh, Matt Nagy and the second overall pick in the draft of Mitch Trubisky to a new outlook with Fields pulling the controls for Luke Getze's offense who worked with, big surprise, Matt LaFleur off the same tree we discussed with the Vikings coming from Sean McVay. So on the surface, you think a little more run game emphasis, perhaps utilizing Fields' athletic ability, getting him out on the edge as a runner and a passer. But change is the theme here because the crux of that 2018 season and the leader of that dominant defense, which really carried that team to a a NFC North championship, a run to the postseason that came up short because of the double doink, Khalil Mack, he has gone to the Chargers. 
In fact, why don't we just go ahead and see what they did in the offseason. Cornerback Tavon Young is new. Linebacker Nicholas Morrow. Tight end Ryan Griffin. Edge Al-Kadin Muhammad. The list goes on and on here. Receivers Byron Pringle and Equinemius St. Brown. Defensive lineman Justin Jones and Mike Pennell. Pennell, I should say. Offensive tackle Julian Davenport. Running back Darrington Evans. Offensive guard Dakota Dozier. Tight end James O'Shaughnessy. Big changes in the Windy City. Gone are edge Khalil Mack. Receiver Allen Robinson, defensive tackle Akeem Hicks. Those three guys right there. It's a lot of talent on that that are on the gone list here. Quarterbacks Andy Dalton and Nick Foles are gone. Offensive tackle Jermaine Effetti. Receivers Jakeem Grant, Marquise Goodwin, Demir Bird all gone. Offensive lineman James Daniels, a, a young, young uh, interior offensive lineman who's playing really well for the Bears. He is gone. Safety Dane Kruikshank. Running back Tariq Cohen. Defensive tackle Eddie Goldman. Linebacker Danny Trevathan. These are guys that were like pillars to that team for a few years and they're all gone man it's a lot of change in Chicago both of these lists are massive very busy season in or off season in Chicago in the draft I, I like the players they got a whole lot in the second round Kyler Gordon could be one of the best cornerbacks in this draft in my opinion he could be a, a day one elite slot cornerback I think in the second round also safety Jaquan Brisker a matchup guy a bring the lumber type of guy out of Penn State in the third round receiver Velas Jones Jr. out of Tennessee some storylines for the Bears. Again, significant turnover. How does it all come together? How quickly does it come together? Does it come together this year? Does it take a year? Justin Fields in a different system. It was it was tough to watch last year because I'm a big Justin Fields fan, and they just had a hard time getting anything going. He was under constant duress. There was minimal usage of his legs, which is, frankly, not just his strongest suit. He's one of the more athletic players at the position in the entire league. Like It's probably him, Lamar Jackson, and Kyler Murray in that category. Can they take better advantage of that in year two? Who is the number two receiver opposite Darnell Mooney? Because that was a, a, a big a big narrative around draft day was, will they go after receivers in a receiver-heavy class, but they go defense their first two picks in that second round. But they did bring in St. Brown, Pringle, and Jones Jr. Uh, will those guys have that big impact, and can they find a legitimate number two opposite Mooney from that group? Who are the gems in the draft? They had two picks in the fifth, three in the sixth, and three more in the seventh. Can they hit on a couple of those? That's a great way to get your program going in the right direction, under new direction. And then Matt Eberflus transitioning this defense because he always ran, this has been the Colts for decades now, right? Since the Peyton Manning era. He always ran with smaller, faster players. He rarely blitzed. He played a lot of four-man fronts or even fronts. And that's just not what the Bears did before. They were blitz heavy. They were, you know, odd fronts most of the time. So how quickly can he get his system and personnel implemented is a big storyline here. They come, or rather the Dolphins go to Soldier Field on week number nine, a one o'clock kickoff, November the 6th. A lone potential cold weather game here in this division. Then again, I guess you have two domes in the division and then the Packers in December would certainly be chilly, but we don't do chilly in South Florida. Let's go ahead and finish up with the Detroit Lions here. As we go in order of the 2022 standings, a lot of the NFL podcasts I listen to or the content I consume are pretty bullish on these quote-unquote frisky Detroit Lions. Dan Campbell enters year two, and he accomplished, I think, what he set out to do in year number one, establishing his culture and getting that team playing hard for him. But now comes the hard part, making the jump in the standings, because we see it all the time, don't we? A team sort of surpasses expectations and not just in the win-loss column because they were 313 and one but how they competed against teams you know up and down the schedule like they were close to the Cardinals almost beat them they took the Steelers to overtime for that tie like playing some some decent football teams well late into games then those expectations after a year like that rise to another level 
and it can be hard to replicate that after a season of playing that kind of spoiler role. I'm curious to see where it goes here for the Lions. But as far as where they've been slash where they're going, they've certainly made it known what kind of team they want to be under Dan Campbell. They want to win in the trenches, especially on the defensive side where they went hard in the offseason in that direction a year ago. And it was successful. They go with Levi on Wuzarike out of UW and Aline McNeil out of NC State with back-to-back picks in the second round. And both of those guys look like hits for them. They also landed Michael Brockers, a longtime production machine for the Rams. Then this year, they bring back Charles Harris. We know him. And they draft Aiden Hutchinson, number two overall, and then come back with Josh Pascal later on the draft. And they've got the names up front. And actually, the defense as a whole just has some nice names and depth across the entire thing. And they've got another one of these guys who was a stud player during what I would call my, I guess, golden years as a football fan when I really fell in love with the game. In a tr- uh, One of those guys that was a, a legit player then who turned legit DC now in Aaron Glenn, and he's helped develop Amani Awarie into a stud corner on the outside. Let's go ahead and check on their offseason. Receiver DJ Chark, I thought was a great move for them. Linebacker Chris Board. Cornerback Mike Hughes, formerly of the Vikings uh, and the Chiefs, is now with the Lions. And then safety Deshaun Elliott from the Ravens comes over. Only a couple of uh, changes in terms of veterans leaving. Edge Trey Flowers was released. And linebacker Jalen Reeves-Maben is also gone. In the draft, mentioned Aiden Hutchinson in the first round. Jamison Williams in the first round, too, out of Alabama. And that's as good of a first round as anybody had this entire draft class. He is the one guy in this class that stood out above the rest, in my opinion. I thought Chris Olave was also kind of in that range, but Williams was on a, a level of his own. Pascal and Kirby Joseph, the safety in the third round, big fan of his game too. Storylines here for the Lions. Run it back with Jared Goff. Can he deliver in a way that takes them out of the quarterback market in 2023 when there is a pretty attractive list of potential draft prospects? And then a question we seem to be asking about every team, how quickly do the weapons get acclimated there? I think their best two receivers were additions this offseason in Chark and Williams. Can they step in and be effective right away? Does some marquee talent emerge here? Because between Panay Sewell, TJ Hawkinson, Aiden Hutchinson, both the Aquaras of the linebacker group, Jeff Okuda, can these guys emerge? And the way that a lot of the guys from the 2014 Lions team that damn near beat the Cowboys in the playoffs that year, the way their stars took a big step, can the Lions get that again here in 2022? And speaking of Jeff Okuda, checking on the Lions beat and going around Twitter, reports were that he was with the twos on the perimeter this offseason. Really curious to see how he performs in year three as he was billed as one of the, the can't-miss cornerback prospects we've seen this decade, and hopefully he can get on the field and be productive this year. The Dolphins play the Lions on the road week eight, the day before Halloween, October the 30th, another one o'clock kickoff. Man, three of these games are in a four-week stretch, Vikings, Steelers, Lions, and Bears, and a couple of months before the pack come to town, so the NFC North your Dolphins competition, storylines, and the division. Can someone challenge the Packers? Three straight division crowns, 13 wins each of those years, and just three losses in division. Two to the Vikings, and then one to the Lions last year in Week 18 when Rodgers played like a couple of series in that game. And frankly, can the Bears or Lions challenge the Vikings for second place in the division? That's kind of been their perch there. Can Chicago or Detroit make some noise? And then I put down this Lions and Vikings draft day trade because that was so unique because teams don't typically do that but also you know Williams you're they they say go ahead and take that pick and put him in the division we'll see him twice a year can they defend that receiver he's a good looking prospect interesting move there but they got from pick 32 the Lions did up to 12 and didn't have to give up any future ones that trade was very intriguing 
for a couple of reasons. Our divisional awards, quarterback in the divisions, Aaron Rodgers, duh. The non-offensive quarterback is going to be one of the two Vikings, Justin Jefferson or Dalvin Cook. I can't choose between the two. Defensively, Jair Alexander is my player of the year there. The coach of the year is Matt LaFleur from the Packers again. My breakout player is Levi Onwuzarike from the Lions. My rookie is also a Lion, Jamison Williams. My division champion is the Green Bay Packers. Coming up next here on the Drive Time Podcast, we'll talk tight ends and NFC East. The offensive line and defensive line will not have divisional previews. Those will be next week. Then we'll pick it back up with the linebackers and AFC West, corners and the South, safeties and the North, and finish up the last week before training camp with our AFC East preview. I said it once, I'll say it 5,000 times, just one of my favorite times of the year. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out our YouTube channel for Dolphins Today, Drive Time, and Fish Tank interviews on there as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy's going to turn around and see you right behind me. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.